Now, as I've observed people who have walked away from their version of the Christian faith, or as I have read the stories of those who would say they are atheists, uh, there is um, one common denominator uh, amongst all of this that sticks out in their story. And it's this word, suffering. Suffering. Suffering or pain. But it's nuance. It's not just suffering or pain. The nuance is because most of them would seem to be okay when the people uh, who they would label as the bad people, they're okay when the bad people suffer. I mean, they're okay with that. I mean, those people, the bad people, are just getting what they deserve. Eye for an eye. I mean, that's what makes things right, right? (laughs) So it's not just suffering or pain. It's suffering without a reason as to why someone is suffering. Or or those, it's a suffering that those, uh, those those who experience the suffering who they see that they don't deserve to suffer. And it's when those who don't deserve to suffer, it's when they suffer the most. Maybe you've wrestled with this. Maybe uh, you've wrestled with this in your own suffering that you've faced in the own pain of your own life. You didn't understand why you were suffering. You didn't understand. Or, or maybe you've wrestled with someone else who, you, who has suffered. Someone, um, especially the person that you love. And when someone you love the most suffers the most. And you wrestle with this. You know, I have. Um, when I was 19 years old, I uh, chose to help take care of my grandfather. He had a neurodegenerative disorder that took him out of full-time ministry uh, that he and his, my grandmother were a part of, and they were pastors of a church here in Kansas City, Kansas. He became fully dependent on my legally blind grandmother, my mother, and me. Of all the people in my life that I would say does not deserve to suffer... It would have been my grandpa. He was my hero. He was not just my hero. He was many people hero. He did not deserve to suffer. He didn't deserve that suffering or that pain as he became a prisoner in his own body. You know what suffering will do to those that are observing someone else suffering? Suffering will cause someone with a strong faith a strong faith like I had, I, or in a home that I grew up in, it'll cause somebody with a strong faith to question God. God, where are you in all of this? Where are you? Have you ever asked that question in the middle of your own pain? God, where are you? Have you ever suffered or seen someone suffer? You're going, God, where are you? Maybe, maybe as the news is coming through, through what's happened right now in Morocco, in the aftermath of this disaster, and you're asking, God, where are you? In all of this. And I've learned something. I've learned something through scripture and through my own experiences that ultimately suffering 
is the test of our faith in God. And I don't know how that rubs you today. Some of us, this is a hard thing to hear. Suffering is a test of our faith in God. And if you've been a part of our church family for a while, or you, you, you've been a part of this, you've heard me say this at different times in different ways, and, 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 but I'll often say that a trust that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. You know, if, if your faith cannot be tested, then your faith or the version of your faith cannot be trusted. Why would you want a faith? Why would you want your faith uh, or to have a faith? And why would you hold on to a faith that you wouldn't allow to go through a test? This is why when people say that they are leaving the Christian faith or they're abandoning their faith or uh, deconstructing their faith over suffering or pain that they've seen or they've experienced, I know something in that moment. I know that they've held on to the wrong version or the untrue version of the Christian faith. They had a version of the Christian faith that could not stand the test of suffering. They, had a, a, they believed in an untrue version of God who would not allow suffering or pain. Scripture, which guides us into the truth, it does reveal something. It re- reveals that suffering and pain, or pain, suffering or pain, is not God's plan. It wasn't God's plan from the beginning of time. It wasn't His original plan. It, however, was humanity's sin against God that has ushered in this curse of suffering and pain that we all experience in life. However, God has chosen to leverage suffering, leverage pain for the good. To ultimately glorify Him. And it's a good that many people cannot see. Because many people don't have a faith. A true faith in God. So I want to ask you today. What is your version of faith? I know that I'm coming at you hard and I'm coming at you right out of the gate fast. And, okay? I understand that. But what do you believe about God? And what do you believe about God and what, where He is with suffering? How does suffering fit in to all of this? More specifically, can I ask you this question? When you face or when you see suffering, will your faith stand out or will you shut God out? What will you do? When, when, see, suffering will either push you to trust in God more deeply or suffering will lead you to shut God out completely. When you experience suffering or pain, when you see others experience suffering or pain, will your faith be resilient and stand out or will you grab the door handle on your faith and shut God out of your life? What will you do when you face the fiery furnace of suffering? We're going to talk more about that in a moment. 
My name is Casey, and I am so honored and privileged to share this time together with all of you. Uh, for those of you that are new at this in the room, we're so grateful that you have allowed us to be with you today. Uh, for everyone that's watching online, we're so grateful to be with you wherever you are. For those of you who are new with us online, man, thanks for checking us out, and uh, we're grateful that you're a, a part of today's service. For those of you that are new with us in the room, we have a gift for you, and we'd love to give you that gift right after the service. So right after service, after we finish singing and we dismiss, if you'll leave uh, this room, exit through our lobby and go across the lobby into our welcome center, there a host will be there in the welcome center who would love to give you a gift for being with us today. And uh, we are just so grateful that you're here. For those of you uh, that maybe you're watching and you're new with us online, we would love to send you a gift. And a small token of uh, you being with us today and just our gratitude to share this moment with you. So there's posting a link to a connect card. If you'll click that link, fill out that form, and we'd love to send you a gift for being with us today. Now, Westside, will you help me welcome everyone that's watching online and help me welcome all those that are new with us in the room? Yeah. So we are in the fifth episode of the series that we are calling A Daniel Generation. And what we've been doing over these last four weeks, including today, we are looking at the examples that four young Hebrew men in, that, are, that are in the book of Daniel, this Old Testament prophetic book that we have as part of this. It's part of the Hebrew scripture and it's a part of our Bible today. And we're looking at the model that they set for each of us. And that model they set for us is this series big idea. Live a faith that stands out in a culture shutting God out. Live a faith that stands out in a culture shutting God out. This kind of faith and the faith that they model for us is a resilient faith. This is kind of faith is a resilient faith. This resilient faith, resilient, a great description of the faith of a Daniel generation. A great description of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But what makes resilient faith stand out? I mean, let, let's just think about this. What makes resilient faith stand out? What makes it recognizable? What makes it inspiring? See, resilient faith stands out because of adversity. That's what makes it stand out. Adversity is what makes resilient faith stand out. And adversity is what makes a resilient faith. Think about the stories of faith that have stood out to you. What are the stories of faith and the stories of people that inspired your faith? What are the stories of faith that have moved you? See, faith doesn't stand out in someone's story as much when it, everything's going their way. But what stands out is we are moved by the stories. The stories that stand out is when their faith is resilient in the face of opposition. And, 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 and when things don't go their way. See, it is the resilient faith in the middle of crisis. It's the resilient faith in the middle of suffering that inspires us. It's the resilient faith when someone goes through a disaster that stands out. The resilient faith through the tears of someone in a waiting room. Those are the stories of faith that stir our hearts and encourage our faith. It is the resilient faith in uncertainty of a future that stands out to, the, to, the, to us. 
See, what makes one's faith stand out is when life's troubles, life's temptations, and life's tough situations confronts one's faith in God. It's in those moments that the resilient faith stands out. But what makes faith resilient? Well, resilient faith is this. Being faithful to God no matter what. That's, I know some of you are like, that's redundant. Faith means faithful. But it is. See, resilient faith is being faithful to God. After all, you cannot have faith if you are not faithful. See, if you're not faithful, you don't have faith. Faithfulness is the outcome of faith. Some of you need to hear this again. Some of you need to, because you've understood faith in your head, but it's not connected in your heart because we know it's connected in your heart when, when, when the faith, the outcome of the faith is faithful because you cannot have faith if you are not faithful. It's faithful faith, no matter what. That is the faith that is caught more than taught. That is the faith that is inspiring. That is the faith that is at all costs. That is the faith no matter what. Faithful faith. It's not faith unless we're faithful. It's not faith if you only have faith when things are going, when you're happy. It's not faith when you only have faith when things are going your way and you're happy in life. That's not faith. I mean, it is faith. I'm glad you have that. But true faith stands out when life isn't going your way. True faith is being faithful to God even though the circumstances don't, does not make you happy that you're in. See, the lie of the false gospel, there, there is a false gospel out there. There's a, it's the untrue good news, if you will. The lie of the false gospel is that if you are not happy, God is not in it. And this is in the world today. This is in some of, like, some of us actually believe some of this stuff. And, and we have to, that's the kind of faith we need to be deconstructing. Which is that, it's a lie of Satan, who is a deceiver, who spreads things like this. Like, do what makes you happy. This is what you do. Do what makes you happy. If you're not happy with your spouse, God wants you to be happy, so leave your spouse. However, that's not faithfulness. Faithfulness is staying with your spouse because you want to honor God more than you want to be happy. If Christians just understood this and would apply it in this in their marriages, the divorce rate would go down drastically in our world. The false gospel is that you deserve to be happy, so you need to be faithful to your own happiness. You know, the lie is that to pursue happiness, one must... Because here's the path to happiness, isn't it? The only way to happiness is to avoid suffering and to avoid pain. The lie of the enemy, the lie of the deceiver is to take the path of happiness, which is the avoidance of suffering and pain. And if that commitment to God doesn't bring you joy, if that commitment, then you can abandon that commitment because obviously God is not in that. What kind of faith... In God is a faith that is not faithful to God. What we see next in the book of Daniel is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have a faith in God that is faithful to God no matter what. 
King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, sets up a massive idol. And when I say massive idol, this thing is 90 feet high and and 9 feet wide. This thing is massive. King Nebi then commands all those under his command, all those under his authority, which includes all the Babylonians and all of the exiled Israelites... That to, the, the command is this, to worship this idol when you hear the music begin playing. The consequence for those who do not bow was that they would be placed into a fiery furnace. This furnace was likely a large room where they would make bricks that would build the empire of Babylon. The three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they protest this ungodly law by, by, uh, by not bowing. And they honor God by not bowing down to this statue. Whistleblowers in King Nebi's court informed King Nebi that these Hebrews, uh, specifically these three Hebrews, these enslaved Israelites, mind you, <laughs> will not bow. And this is how that story goes. Furious with rage, we read in Daniel Chapter 3. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image of I made... Very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I just want to pause right here. Because this just stuck out to me. I was like, man, if this were in the American culture of Christianity, that would go a whole lot different. You know, if an American were there in this situation, an American Christian were there, maybe maybe like in the cultural Christianity, okay? Let's just call it the cultural Christianity, not the true Christianity, okay? If the cultural American Christianity person was there, we'd be defending ourselves, We have rights, inalienable rights. (laughs) We have, we have, and we definitely would defend ourselves. We would be justifying all our stance in this protest. But they don't. In fact, we just read they don't justify themselves. They don't defend themselves. And how they respond next, oh man... How they respond next is the faith I want to have. How they respond next is the faith that God wants you to have. How they respond next is the faith I want my children to have. And the the faith that we want the next generation of faith to have. And this is their response. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not. Whoa. 
Maybe you've heard this story how many times growing up. Maybe you've never read that line. Even if he does not. Will you circle those two words, even if? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, King Nebuchadnezzar. Even if the only true God who we believe in and the only true God who, yes, we only worship him. Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Even if? I mean, come on, Daniel. I mean, not Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Come on now. Isn't that a little extreme? (laughs) These Hebrew men demonstrate a resilient faith. A resilient faith in God. An unshakable faith in the face of a fiery furnace. Now, if that were in the cultural Christianity that is kind of like the untrue version of Christianity in today's American culture, there had been voices. There had been voices. Likely voices that could have said something like, you know, God knows your heart. He knows that you, you really want to honor him. He knows that you really love him and you really believe in him. And this is a very difficult thing. It's okay, you can bow down to that aisle. He knows it's okay, just this one time. You can give in to that pressure. God knows how hard and difficult it is. You can give in, you can bow down, and and, and you can bow down to that aisle. God will understand. God knows the situation you're in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's difficult. God knows how hard it's been. Hey, Christian, Christ follower, God knows how difficult your situation is. God sees that that other lady will make you more happy than your spouse. Or that other guy will make you more happy than your husband does. It's okay to bow down. These are the voices of Babylon. God sees the situation you're in at work. He'll be okay if, if, if you choose to do what the boss is really pushing you to do and you don't think it's right. He knows that there's a lot of pressure in the workplace. He, he knows that you need to get ahead. He knows that you need to make a living and you need to get what's yours. It's okay. Bow to the idol. It's okay. Go ahead and bow. The voices of Babylon to the young person. It's okay, young person. Hey, look around. Hey, this is like what everybody's believing. This is what everybody's doing. This is how everybody's every, everybody's getting involved in this. It's okay. These are the voices of Babylon. Everyone's, the pressure's there. And God understands. Don't bow. It's okay to bow. That's what the voice of Babylon says. These are the voices of Babylon we must ignore. These are the voices of Babylon that are competing for your faithfulness to God. These are the voices of Babylon, Babylon, these are the voices of idols that are competing for your faithfulness to God. 
The response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the picture of the resilient faith of a Daniel generation. That when you are in the face of your suffering, when you're in the face of your difficulty, when you're in the face, in the middle of that hopeless situation, and you're in the middle of your pain, and you're in the middle of your agony, you're in the middle and you don't know where, how long it's going to last, that you can say with these three Hebrew men, God is able to deliver us, and He will deliver us from your mighty hand. But even if he does not, we will not dishonor him. We will not bow down to your idol. Even if, even if God doesn't rescue me out of this hard situation, even if God doesn't deliver me from this difficult moment, even if God doesn't heal me or heal the one who I love so much and so deeply, even if God doesn't give me that job and financially help me out in this like I so desperately need to make life easier, even if God does not, even if God doesn't change my spouse, even if God doesn't take away the pain or the suffering I am in this life. Even if I will trust God no matter what. Because I know the God I trust is bigger than the fire I face. The God you trust is bigger than the furnace of suffering that you are in. This is the resilient faith. This is the faith that stands out even when culture is telling you to shut God out. You can bow. God understands. This is the resilient faith. The even if faith. The no matter what faith. The at all costs faith. This is the faith that is faithful to God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reveal this resilient faith. And they model to us resilient faithfulness to God. No matter what. At all costs. And even if. They model what this teaching big idea is. See, a Daniel generation trusts God no matter what. What? A Daniel generation, this is what a Daniel generation does. A Daniel generation trusts God even if. A Daniel generation trusts God at all costs. And a Daniel generation trusts God no matter what. So, will you live a resilient faith faith in the face of of your own furnace. Will you? Will your faith stand out when culture is telling you to shut God out and bow? Will you hold on to the unshakable truth that these Hebrew men held on to that you can trust God no matter what, even if? You know, this is what I love about our grade school environment. In, in our grade school environments, they repeat one of three core truths every week. One of these three truths are talked about every week. And one of these core truths is that they can trust God no matter what. Lori and our grade school team and their leaders do an amazing job of equipping the next generation to trust God no 
matter what. Because this is the resilient faith that we want to see in the next generation. And this is the resilient faith God wants to see in you and I. That we have a faithfulness to God because we trust God no matter what, above all else, even if. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were faithful because they believed. And I believed that they trusted God would do something. And I believe they believed in something about God. See, the Hebrews believed in a resurrection. I want you to know this. The Hebrew faith, the, the faith of the Hebrew, this culture that they grew up in, they believed in a resurrection. And it was taught to them that, that God would bring the dead back to life. This was a, a faith that had been culturally passed down to them. It had been a part of their scripture. It was a part of their story. The, the, the father of the Hebrew people, Abraham, he even, he, he, they, they believe this because Abraham believed this when he placed Isaac on the altar and I, Abraham was willing to go through with this because he believed God would resurrect Isaac back from the dead. They believed in the resurrection. They believed that, and that's what this, these three Hebrew men believed. I believe they believed this. This is me inferring this in this passage. That, and we see this in verse 17, that it, they would say, hey, if we are thrown into the fiery furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from this. From this, <laughs> And look at this. This is a result. He goes, he, he's able. Yeah, he's able. And he will deliver us from your mighty hand. How did they have this resolve? Because they knew death did not win. They believed that God can and God will Bring the dead back to life. The Hebrews believe that suffering, pain, and death doesn't win. And we have a better proof that pain, suffering, and death doesn't win. Jesus Christ's resurrection proves that suffering and death don't win. Jesus destroyed the power of death when he came back to life. And if Jesus destroys death, Jesus' power is stronger than the pain and the suffering that leads to death. This is the power of what you believe through Christ's resurrection. This is Paul. Paul, Paul was so excited about this. The first century apostle, Paul, who would write most of what we have in the New Testament. In the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, verse 26, verse 26 he would say, The last enemy... To be defeated is death. The last enemy of God is death. And this is, what the, this is what Jesus did. Jesus, what did he do? He came. He lived this life. He lived so perfectly. And he suffered. And he died. And when he came back to life, he destroyed death. Jesus allowed himself to be killed on a cross so God's power would be victorious over death. Jesus destroyed the last enemy that you and I will ever face when we take our last breath. And he overcame it. The thing many of us fear the most, death. Jesus' resurrection has power over that. And when you face your fear, when you face your suffering, when you face your pain, you can have Christ's power at work in you 
no matter what, at all costs, even if. Even if the end result of that trial you're in, that trouble you're in, even if the end result of that is death, you can have the assurance and the confidence and the certainty that you share in the victory Jesus gives through His resurrection and life. And you can have the certainty that death does not win. It does not win. See, when you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you share in the power of His resurrection that destroys the curse of sin and gives you life forever with God. This is Jesus' answer. This is God's answer to the suffering and pain in this life, in this world. This is what the power of Jesus Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection now means for those of us who believe. All throughout the first, that chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul reiterates the power Jesus has over suffering and death. Paul would say things like, death has been swallowed up in victory. Paul would quote Hosea, the prophet, a, a prophet to Israel while they were in exile. And he would quote the prophet Hosea saying, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And he would go on to say, the, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then Paul would encourage the Corinthians. He would say this to them, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, therefore, family of God, therefore, people of faith, therefore, Christians, stand firm. He would tell them, stand firm. He writes this, stand firm. Be unwavering in your faithfulness to God. Stand firm. And then he says this, let nothing move you. As if he couldn't, he had to be redundant. Stand firm. What's that mean? Don't let anything move you. Don't bow down. Be faithful to God. This is what Jesus Christ's resurrection means to Paul. This is what Jesus Christ's resurrection meant to the first century church. See, this is what Jesus Christ's resurrection means for you. That when your faith is in Christ Jesus, you can be faithful to God. No matter what. At all costs. Even if. So can I ask you? What does... Jesus Christ's resurrection mean to your faith. I hope that you can say with me, because of Jesus Christ's resurrection, I will trust God and be faithful to Him no matter what. This is the resilient faith. This is the faith that's built through adversity. This is the faith that stands out in adversity. Resilient faith that believes God is able. Resilient faith that trusts God's plan and trusts God's purpose, even though it will not go well for us. Resilient faith in the face of suffering. Suffering. Suffering is the crucible that tests your faith in the love and goodness of God. Because it's in those moments where you suffer or in those moments where you see others suffer that you and I will either abandon our faith and be faithless or we will be faithful and in that moment our faith will stand out. 
Even though most of us and many of us know the story of how this ends, I want to read to you how this story ends. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. With Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the, sold, killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet with amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, Your Majesty. He said, Look! I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, and I want you to hear this. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. And this is what that king says next. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Those with the wrong version of faith will say, God loves you. And if God loves you, you shouldn't have to suffer. But those with the right version of faith, the true version of faith, will say, God loves me, and He's good, and He has a plan for me, and He's got a purpose for me. And I know God is faithful to go through this trial with me. God is faithful. He will be the fourth man in my fire. God is faithful. He will be with me through this hard, difficult situation. And I will be faithful to Him. See, God's presence with you in your suffering is more powerful and more meaningful than God removing your suffering. 
Faith that is faithful to God through suffering will reveal a God who is faithful to be with you through your suffering. This is a gift that is greater than God rescuing you out of your suffering or removing that suffering from you. So I want to ask you, can you have the same faith that, Dan, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that we read about in Daniel? That is willing to give up even your life and trust God no matter what. At all costs. Even if. Are you willing to have that kind of faith and be faithful? See, resilient faith characterized by this willingness to give up one's life or let go of what one desires to honor God. That's the faith that will stand out to those like King Nebuchadnezzar shutting God out. This is the kind of faith that Christianity, the true Christianity, is all about. This is the kind of faith that turned the first century world and, and that, that was under the power of Rome, the oppressive power of Rome. This is the kind of faith that turned that world upside down. This is the real Christian faith. Faith that honors God and is faithful to Him above all else at all costs, even if. Faith, no matter what. And if that's not your version of faith, can I beg you to abandon whatever wrong version of faith that you've held on to? And can I invite you to trust in Jesus? What his resurrection means for you, that he wants to give you the power of life through his resurrection to endure the problems, the tough situations, and the trials you face. He wants to go with you through that. Will you trust Him? I'm looking into your eyes and I see the struggle. I don't know what it is and I feel it today. And this is what I want to do. I want to end this service. We need to pray. And you need somebody to pray with you. So I'm going to ask you to stand right now. For those online, I encourage you to do this with us. This is what we do. I'm going to ask you to meet two, two or three together. I want you to get in two, groups of two or three. If you're new with us, if you don't want to participate in this, you can just say not today. But we need to pray with one another because you don't know what someone else is going through right now. And this is the prayer I want to encourage you to pray for them. Father, help my friend be faithful to you at all costs. No matter what, even if. Will you gather together and after we pray with one another, we're just going to celebrate what Jesus means to us. And I encourage you to celebrate with us. Will you do this right now? Will you just turn and pray with one another? Westsiders, look, make sure nobody's left alone.